Welcome back, everyone, to episode nine of the Cause for Joy podcast. We are thrilled, and actually, all three of us are together for this episode. Yes, I am so excited. Reunited, and it feels so good. Yes. Yep. But I will say, I'm probably even more excited about the topic we're going to talk about today. Wow, thanks. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, you're important. I'm glad that we're all together, but this is exciting. This mm-hmm. is right up your Because alley. we just celebrated sure. Christ the King, which is the last Sunday in ordinary time before we start the season of Advent. And so we've got a load of stuff to talk about as Let's we prepare go. for the new year. Boom. Love it. Anyways, but we need to settle something before we get started. There is a difference between rose and pink. Mm. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Because <coughs> Jesus totally rose from the dead. He didn't pink from the grave, right? Indubitably. You, you, you stole that from me, which I'm pretty sure I stole from Father Jose. So. Which he probably stole from somebody else. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so somebody, in, tr- in typical Catholic fashion, you know, somebody said somewhere right. this statement. Yeah. Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't pink from the dead. He did not pink from the dead. So, but later on in Advent, we will actually talk about why there is one Sunday, Gaudete Sunday, where it is uh, usual and, and um, typical to see priests and deacons to wear rose vestments. Correct. But that will be farther down the line when we actually enter into Advent. So that's got to be like a party day for us as a podcast. That's got to be like our feast day because it's mm. the Sunday devoted to joy and Advent. Like we got to do something big. I for like the podcast. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Totally. We'll have to brainstorm. Oh yeah, for sure. Listeners, send in your ideas. What should we do to celebrate? Yeah, for sure. You really and sleep. Well, okay. Yeah, sleep <laughs> would be great. <laughs> Says the mother. Says of the mother. Three, of three kids under two. two. <laughs> yep. I mean, the rest of us need sleep too. You know. It's mm-hmm. fine. But for real, uh, listeners, if you want to send in your suggestions, uh, you can find our email uh, on our website. It's also on our Facebook page, but it is causeforjoy.official at gmail.com. You can send in your ideas, your suggestions about what we should do to celebrate, and we will share those uh, as they come in, and especially as we prepare for like the week of uh, God I Taste Sunday, where we talk about joy, we'll let you all know what we end up doing to celebrate, and we encourage you to celebrate with us. So yes. there will probably be a few masses offered as well for podcast listeners and things like that as well. Fireworks so. show. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Great. Fire cool. breathers. Yep. Yeah. Fire breathing dragon? <laughs> <laughs> no. You know those those circus performers? The, the, they'll be like... Whoosh. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I totally thought of Mushu. <laughs> I live. Okay, <laughs> I lived. <laughs> your cow. This <laughs> on you. This on on your cow. Cranky, take notes. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> wait, wait. I, I didn't you want to say something too, Father? Oh, I had an idea for an icebreaker, but I, I feel like the, the ice has already been broken. We're already... No, please uh, share. I want to know. I really want to really know because know you weren't going to tell us. Okay. So, have you ladies ever watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. Uh, a couple of times, yes. A couple so, of times, yeah. you may be vaguely familiar with the idea of the question game. Probably. So, the question game is where you just have to go around and you just have to keep asking questions. And if you don't ask a question, then you're out. So, you ready? Okay. 
You lost. Dang it, I just lost two. Emma won. <laughs> okay, new game. Same okay, you guys ready for a new game? Golden. Maybe. Yes. That wasn't a question, was it? That was a question. There was a tilt in my voice. Father Kevin, are you ready for a new game? Wasn't I just the one that asked that? I don't know. Were you? I think you were. Oh. Dang it. No, that was a, <laughs> my voice inflection. Okay, that, that totally was just a statement. <laughs> so it's just two of us, huh? Yeah, it, it looks like it might be. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that was totally a sentence added. You had a lot of uh, punctuation marks in that sentence, didn't you, Mary Kate? <laughs> so no, I don't think so, did I? Commas. Are you going <laughs> to say something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice just got really well, high. Well, this plan uh, backfired. So, uh, okay. <laughs> well, I think the ice is officially broken. <laughs> Never being repaired. So. <laughs> okay. All right. If I wish you all could see Deep us breaths. as we record with the three of us because it's a hot mess sometimes. Something to behold. But it's it's a beautiful mess, right? It mm -hmm. is. It so, is. anyways, Father Kevin, yes, what are we talking about today? Why am I so excited? Well, you are very excited because we are talking about something that is very near and dear to your heart, which we are looking forward to seeing some of your insights on. We're going to be talking about the liturgy. Hoorah! Yes. We're going to actually start it out with a quote from Pope Benedict XVI. He seems to be our go-to guy. He's got a we lot of... We totally quoted him in the last episode, too. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So he has this uh, really beautiful quote in the spirit of the liturgy. I think is going to help frame our conversation today. So he says this, All time is God's time. When the eternal word assumed human existence at his incarnation, he also assumed temporality. He drew time into the sphere of eternity. Christ is himself the bridge between time and eternity. So I think we can see by that quote why I think talking about liturgy right now is a fitting time as we head into the Advent season where we celebrate the fact that God became man and just the human and the divine coming together and just the eternal and temporality all talked about in that quote, I think that can help launch us into this talk on liturgy. So as usual, yeah, I want to I provide maybe some catechesis on what exactly is liturgy? What do we mean when we use that phrase? And then I'm going to have both of you ladies maybe break that open because there's a way in which I partake in the liturgy as a priest, but then the unique ways in which the both of you are able to enter into it and uh, receive such gifts from the Lord and from the church through the liturgy would be something really cool to hear. So what do we mean by liturgy? Well, I think to really start getting at this definition, we need to kind of zoom out a little bit and actually talk briefly about the topic of time. Mm -hmm. And I know when we do that, some people are going to tune out because it's going to get kind of deep, but it's actually really beautiful if you're able to follow along and please come Holy Spirit to help me articulate this well. But in the Greek language, there's actually a couple different words for time. So they would say the word chronos. They would also say kairos. Okay? And there's a difference in what they mean by that. They both translate as time, but they're both referring to a different sense of time. So I think chronos would be the easiest to wrap our minds around because that's where we get the word chronological. So when we think of chronological, we think of event after event after event. Chronos is the time it is right now. So as I look at the clock, I think it's 9.15 on October 25th, 2021. That's, that's an exact time. And we, we spend a lot of our days um, going by this chronos type of time. We look at the clock, it's this particular moment in time. 
But there's a whole other notion of time when we consider the fact that God is eternal, right? He's infinite. He's timeless. And so for him, time's a little bit different. And that's where we get in the scripture passage. I think it's in Second Peter, this idea that one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day for God. This idea that from God's perspective, there's just one eternal now. So we're in this unique situation where we're living in time, the moment by moment chronos of we watch the, the minute hand on the clock go around and around. And at the same time, we collide with uh, the kairos of God's time, his eternal now. And we see this in a particular way in the way that the church gives us a liturgical year. And I found this quote by a, this, this priest who wrote this article kind of describing, again, this difference in the two notions of time and how that relates to the idea of the liturgy and our liturgical year as a church. He has this really beautiful quote where he says, each liturgical year is a symphony of kairos and chronos, of God's time and chronological time, neither of which ought to be squandered. The saving mysteries of Jesus Christ are celebrated according to the days and seasons of the natural world. The supernatural and the natural are joined in a harmonious union. So again, that's, that's kind of a reiteration of that Pope Benedict quote, right? That idea that particularly in the liturgy, we have specific times in the year set aside to meditate on these different eternal realities. So we have Kairos and Kronos coming together in a beautiful way, particularly in the liturgy. So I think we see this, first of all, in the liturgical calendar, right? We have the different liturgical seasons. We have Advent. We have Lent. We have ordinary time, we have the Easter season, and all of those correspond with different calendar months, you know, like we have Advent in the winter months, uh, we have springtime is more time for Lent, uh, summertime for the most part is ordinary time, so the church gives us these particular times to focus on these uh, bigger realities, and in particular we're heading right now into the season of Advent, so this is a liturgical season in the life of the church where we dedicate time, so these various weeks, to focus on this eternal reality of what it means for God to become man. And even the readings, as we go through the, the lectionary at Mass and we would hear the readings being proclaimed, even the readings are going to start talking about time in a different way. They're really going to emphasize this idea of the end times, this idea that Christ came 2,000 years ago, but we believe as we say in the creed, that he is going to come again. And so the readings prepare us for that end time. And it's, it's, so it's a beautiful time of the church's year where we reflect on these different realities. So that's a little bit about kind of what the liturgical sense of time is and how whenever we enter into the liturgy, which isn't just Mass, Mass is like a part of it. It would be under the umbrella of when we're talking about liturgy. But when we're talking about liturgy, I think one of the ways we can begin to enter into that framework is to realize it's, it's a new way of thinking about time. It's being caught up into the eternal now of God as we enter into these uh, sacred, eternal mysteries. So that's a little kind of primer on a little bit of an intro to liturgy, a little bit to the intro on the different ways that time interacts there. Yeah, so any, any thoughts on that as I as I kind of provide that foundation for us? I did just want to say, too, you know, liturgy really, like, so the Mass is the source and summit, right? And that's what fuels our life in the liturgy in this, you know, in this Kronos time. Like, the, the Mass is where the Kairos and the Kronos, you know, kiss. You know, it's that where heaven and earth 
Clyde in this beautiful, I, I love the language of like the harmonious union, right? Uh, but not only is the mass the source and summit, it fuels our life so that we live within the liturgical life of the church. So we actively live our lives in participation in that chronos. And so I always view it as it's that lifestyle, right? It's, it's that mindset, that lifestyle of participating in the time of God, you know. And I wanted to point out, too, so in the same document that you quoted from just a couple of paragraphs later, it says, Each liturgical year does, however, give us a true picture of Christ. And to celebrate any of the mysteries of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is to encounter Christ himself. And so the entire liturgical year with these different seasons in the church calendar, it's so that we can encounter Christ himself and his resurrection, which is the the whole meaning of our faith, right, mm-hmm. is the resurrection of Christ. So I thought that that was also uh, a beautiful, just tag on to, to that. But uh, that was a great, thanks for condensing the idea of liturgy down to just a couple of minutes. Sure, and if I could just maybe add one more uh story, an example I could think of. I can remember one day going to the Adoration Chapel, and so I'm in the presence of our Lord, our our timeless, eternal, infinite God, and I can hear behind me, there's a clock on the wall, and I can hear the seconds tick by, and I just realized, like, as the time is going by as I'm in this chapel, I'm in the presence of the infinite, timeless God, and just, like, the beauty of the way in which those two things come together, and it's it's almost like the Adoration Chapel is kind of the training grounds for when I leave the chapel and I go about my day-to-day duties, can I keep the eternal in mind and, and present to me as I go about task by task, minute by minute? Do I, te- do I keep the eternal going? And I, I think, again, the liturgy helps train us for that and, and helping to focus on particular aspects of Christ and of, of our eternal God. So that, that was like another example of how I've seen that play out mm-hmm. in the, the coming together of the two. So I think as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Emma, this, this topic of liturgy is very near and dear to your heart. And I know I, I tried to, again, condense this very complex topic into just a few minutes, kind of stuff it into this little box. But I think our listeners would probably gain a lot more appreciation for this if they were able to see your heart in this, how it is that uh, you've come to become so passionate about this topic of liturgy and so i mean have you have you always been like this or did something spark it just just take us away with with how it is that you've really come to fall in love with this idea of the liturgy right and so first of all it hasn't always been this way grew up catholic was confirmed in the church but when i grew up i would say that it was very dry i'm not blaming my parents like they did they did they really did do a wonderful job raising us but i in looking back i would say it was a grace just the way, you know, you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you realize, like, okay, God, like, I could see you're working, you know, even if things weren't necessarily how I wish they were, you were still at work, and there was still grace there. But we went to Mass every Sunday, and I remember thinking to myself several times, okay, well, this is great, but uh, Catholics don't really read scripture like there's no scripture in the mass like okay maybe you read a couple of readings but then where do they get all of this other stuff they must be crazy lunatics right I remember that I wanted to leave the church even before confirmation because I was like this is dumb not gonna do this anymore like why why this is boring right there's nothing to it and so I remember after confirmation viewing that as like the golden ticket right and I was like 
liturgy, mass, blech, nothing important, right? And wanted to be a Protestant pastor. Started preaching sermons when I was 16. And in those nine years that I was really away from the church, so I wasn't like technically officially, I I think I was officially away eight years, but nine altogether, if you consider that year prep of confirmation, I was totally checked out. Like I was only going to mass just to meet the confirmation requirements. Other than that, I was so done. I was like, no more, you know, just diving into these different Protestant denominations, you know, starting to preach these sermons, wanting to be a Protestant pastor, wanting to create worship services, how I thought they should be. And realizing, looking back, that was actually a struggle. Like you, you think that it's easy, like, oh yeah, I get to do this how I want, but when all reality, you're working against the true form of worship that it was to be. And I didn't realize that until I came back uh, to the church, but had no respect for the liturgy for the mass. Uh, like I said, I just, I didn't understand the true meaning of it. Didn't understand where the scripture was coming from. I was like, you guys say that you believe in the Bible, but yet prove to me where it's at. A little did I know, right? Mm-hmm. That could be a different topic where we dive into the scripture elements of the, the mass. And I think eventually we'll, we'll do that, but, uh, or you can Google it and find out on your own if you don't want to wait, but you know, it's always fun to hear us chat about it, I think. But anyways, I just remember the one day I was leading uh, worship at a church. And I was sitting up in the balcony. And I think I may have shared this where I was just sitting up in the balcony realizing that their worship service was, and I just did like air quotes, which none of you could see, but I just did it, uh, was just singing a few songs and listening to a lukewarm sermon. And I was just like, okay, what is that? And I, I shared, I think, on episode uh, three or maybe four. I think it was like three or four. Like, there's got to be more than just this, right? Than just singing some songs, listening to a sermon. And so that was my first, I think, real point of realizing that there was something that I was missing. I was missing the reverence I was missing the hymns. I was missing the bells, the smells, the whistles, like everything. I was missing the sensual worship, right? Our senses being engaged. And I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, wow, you know, the Catholic Church has the bells. You know, we had bells growing up. Uh, We had the incense. We had the hymns. We had, you walk into church and it was quiet. It wasn't talking. It wasn't social hour like a lot of the Protestant churches were. A lot of what I was experiencing, that's what it was. I was like... There's got to be something here, right? There's got to be something that transcends the here and now to the eternal. And so I, I, I missed the order. I missed even the seasons, you know, in, in celebrating Advent and Lent. There's not as great of an emphasis. I don't believe, at least in my experience, there wasn't a great emphasis on the seasons of Advent or Lent. And I missed that. I was like, well, it just kind of feels like, okay, yeah, you mentioned it, but we're just going through the motions again. There wasn't a change in attitude or a change in heart during those times. And so when I was finally open to coming back, when I was finally open to uh, talking to people about Catholicism or the Mass or things like that, that's what I was drawn to. Like, I remember going to Mass for the first time. May 1st, there was a St. Joseph feast day, St. Joseph the Worker. I don't think that was a coincidence. But I remember going to Mass and just seeing Scripture unfold before my eyes. After years hating the church, I just see scripture unfold before my eyes. I'm like, when in the world did Catholics finally get their act together and put scripture in the mass? <laughs> like, I was like, when did this happen? They're like, Emma left. We have to change everything. To I know. I was like, 
little did I know that it's always been there, but I had studied scripture so much in that time that I was away that I finally was able to see it put into action. And I just remember when we got in the car after mass and my friend was like, oh, so what'd you think of mass? And I told her, I was so mad, like gritting my teeth, mad, because here's the church that I never wanted to come back to. And it was the one that was giving me everything that I was looking for. Mm. You know, I remember saying to her, I can't tell you what I thought, but it's everything I'm looking for. Because I realized in that one mass that there was something different. There was something transcendent about it. There was something that I wasn't getting in these other denominations, in these other churches, because it really was heaven and earth meeting. And it was at that moment that I said, I need to investigate this. I need to research this. And the parochial vicar at the uh, parish that I was at, he, God bless his soul, I, he's a just a great guy. Uh, he sat down with me and flipped through the Roman Missal with me. And he answered all my questions. And I said, well, isn't, you know, the Eucharistic prayer, aren't you guys just crucifying Jesus every single time? Like, he said, no. So let me read to you something. He read to me in every Eucharistic prayer where it says memorial of his passion, memorial of his sacrifice, right? He just, this word memorial, he says, we're not doing it. We're participating in the one Mm -hmm. sacrifice. And I was like, my mind was blown. And I was like, teach me more. Mm -hmm. And he did, but he just flipped through the Roman Missal with me. And he would point me into different liturgical resources and things like that. And he said, what you're hungering for is a participation in this liturgical life. And the life that is something greater than what you could even put words to. I said, yeah, because this is what I've been missing. Ultimately, what I was really missing is the Eucharist. But the Eucharist is the source and summit of the liturgical life, Mm. which is actively living in the time of God and the eternal. Right? And so... Yeah, I was just drawn, and I owe a lot to this priest just for being willing to walk with me. And it was at that moment that I realized, okay, now I want to go study for my master's in Catholic theology. And it was at that moment that I realized, like, you know, five years ago or so, six years ago, if I ever pursued a PhD, one of my options would be in liturgical or sacramental theology. Uh, So it's always been on my plate. I'm always reading books about the liturgy and actively living it out, but... That, for me, would be the starting point of my deep love for the liturgy and just realizing the Mass is the greatest gift ever. But then the rhythm of the Church, the life of the Church, because the Church herself is a sacrament, and we won't get into that, but Holy Mother Church herself is a sacrament. Thus, the Church herself is grace given to us and how we, and when we actively live in the life of the church, we are living in a life of grace and we are receiving that grace. And again, that just blew my mind. But I really just, I really ran with that because I realized like this was something that I was missing out on my entire life, really not understanding it. Uh, and so that's really for me, like, I know it was a bit long, but to understand the background of where that came from and just that desire. And I'm always reading books. Uh, I'm always like, I just reread Spirit of the Liturgy by Joseph Ratzinger. Again, I'm a huge nerd, right? But uh, always just looking for opportunities to to gain more insight on the liturgy. And I always want to learn from people. It's like, teach me what you know about the liturgy. Because it's so beautiful and it it, it really is a great gift. And so for me, that's, that's, uh, 
that's really what sparked it, hmm. was that priest that was willing to sit down and walk with me through the Roman Missal. And it's because of that, like, I have probably the first three Eucharistic prayers memorized, the Roman Canon 2 and 3. Nice. For it, I'm working on because... You don't hear it very often. Don't hear it very often, but it's beautiful. It is. And that would, I would encourage, actually, listeners, like, read through the Eucharistic prayers. Mm-hmm. Like, they are beautiful. And not just read them, but, like, read it as a prayer. Because that's what it is. It's a prayer uh, to the Father. Uh, and it's a prayer that we actively unite our hearts to, even though it's the ministerial priest that prays it. We are called to unite our hearts in that prayer, too. We'll talk about that when we dive into the Mass. Mm-hmm. I know there's like Man, so many things I want to jump in on, but it's like, nope, we got we to gotta kind of stay on topic. And I, If I could just maybe draw out one thing that you, that you shared there that struck me as you were describing it was, you, I think you really just helped describe this idea of the church as mother, Right, this idea of the church. I mean, we, we receive divine life from the church in the sacrament of baptism. We're constantly nourished by her through uh, the sacraments, particularly in the Eucharist. But even just like the way that a mother is just a regular part of your life and just like that daily walking with you, especially as, as a young child, yeah, as you would know, Mary Kate. <laughs> but uh, again, Let's as ask you, the mother here. Yes, yes. Can you confirm fact checker of this episode? Yep. Okay, got it. But again, like as you're describing how, how the church has been for you and how it is that you've been participating in the liturgical life of the church, it really sounds to me like it helps you to connect more with the way in which the church acts as our mother in the spiritual life, which was just really cool to, to hear from that testimony. So speaking of how do we actually live this out, and we have a, a mother in our midst bringing those two things together, we wanted Mary-Kate to maybe share some of these practical ways that, again, Emma and I have been talking about this idea of living out the liturgy in our daily lives, right? How is it that we encounter the eternal when we're at Mass or in the Adoration Chapel, and yet how do we bring that with us into the moment-by-moment of our daily lives? How is it that we bring the Kronos and the Kairos outside of the church building so that we're continuing to walk with our Holy Mother Church in in living this liturgical life? Mary-Kate has, I think, some examples that she wanted to share with us about how she helps her family in her household live this out, and I think it would be really beneficial for our listeners who want to find ways to practically live out some of these beautiful things that we've been talking about. So, Mary Kay, what have you found helpful over the years, and what do you kind of do in your family in this regard? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that, you know, you start with going to Mass every Sunday because that's when you're going to get the graces for your family of being able to live in a liturgical way. And I think it's so beautiful that Jason and I started out our married life and our family, you know, building our family with the nuptial Mass. And it was one of the, it was our favorite part to plan of the entire wedding day because, you know, we got to pick our own hymns and our readings. And we even were like, all right, we're going with Eucharistic prayer one because we want all of the intercession of the saints. And, um, oh, God, beyond all praising. Yeah, that was the recessional hymn at our wedding. And so uh, the priest who did our marriage prep with us had said that the very first thing that we agree on as a married couple is that Christ is in the Eucharist. Because we both say, amen, I believe. And so we had just been married. We go to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. We both say amen. It's the very first thing that we agree on is that we're going to be building our life upon this truth. 
And so it's so important that you start off with the mass. It's the basis for your family. And so some of the things that we will do in our own family life is that we celebrate baptism days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, on my daughter's baptism day, we got out her candle. We got out Jason and I's baptism candle. We lit those and we went through the baptismal vows. We sang a special song and we celebrate that day because that's the day that you become an adopted daughter or son of God. We do it for Jason's, for mine. We'll do it for the boys next year. It's a very important thing to remember the day of your baptism. Another thing that we'll sometimes do that my my family kind of laughs about a little bit is that sometimes we'll wear liturgically correct clothes to mass. Nice. Uh, so you know. I mean, the, that's a very valid thing. The first Sunday of of Advent, Jason will probably be wearing purple. I'll try to wear purple, and I I wore purple today, and I realized like we're definitely not in mm. still ordinary time. I know, but I just wanted to wear the sweater, mm-hmm. so I did. Well, there you go. That's fine. It's yeah. a good story. So I actually I actually got Jason a rose and gray tie for Christmas one year so that he could be liturgically correct on those two Sundays of the year that mm. Right, Gaudete and Latari Sunday. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's another way to do it. Celebrating major feast days, you know, Christ the King, Corpus Christi, uh Trinity Sunday, those are all major feasts in the church that, you know, we can celebrate. We can say, you know what, this is the feast of the Sacred Heart. We're going to have ice cream for uh, dessert today. And, we and love build ice it. cream. We do love ice cream. We eat ice cream, I think, every time we get together. <laughs> we don't have ice except cream right for, now, though. Right, except for when we're recording. But, well, how about this past year, speaking of saints and feast days, this past year where the Solemnity of St. Joseph was on a Friday in Lent. during Lent. We got Let's Chick-fil-A. Go. I think I had Bacon. I had meat for every single meal that Let's day. Go. Yep. Include I think I had Chick-fil-A too. Mm. That was, was actually another thing, thing that I was going to mention was, you know, having meat on those solemnities of that are that fall on Fridays. Yep. Because the church wants you to celebrate. They want you to acknowledge that this is a great feast. And so, yeah, we'll have Chick-fil-A. We'll have meat on those Fridays. Another thing that we... Okay, also, where do you get Chick-fil-A around here? Lansing. It's a hike, but it, it's more of a it's pilgrimage. Okay, that mind. is true because it's the Lord's Chicken, right? That's yeah. correct. It is, yeah. yeah. Just don't go on Sunday. They're closed. Yeah. Right. I accidentally did that once mm. a few years ago. Rookie mistake. My heart literally... I felt my heart break. I was mm. like, this is so sad. I don't want McDonald's. Okay. Ew, <laughs> no. Yeah, no. No, no. <laughs> but another thing that we'll try to do is during just regular Fridays of the year, we'll try to not eat meat and stick with meat, meatless meals. And if we do end up eating meat, we try to do an extra penance because that's that's actually what the church teaches is that they encourage you to not have meat on the other Fridays of the year, not just in Lent. But if you do, then you should be doing an extra penance, like an extra rosary or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that we'll try to do is that we'll try to do the meatless uh, Fridays during Advent. Advent wreath, yeah. It's not just something that you can see at church. You can get a wreath and set it on your table and light those candles. In our family, we do it every dinner. We'll light the candles. And it's a good reminder of the preparation that we're going through as we approach Christmas. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was in my family, what my parents had always done, and, and Jason and I have started to do it in our own family, is we will stay completely silent 
from noon to three on Good Friday. And obviously, if we're at the Good Friday service, then we'll participate in the service, but we stay silent in all the, in all the moments that count. If we end up you know, if it starts at one, you know, we'll, we'll be silent before the service. If it ends before three, we'll be silent after the service, you know, to just remember that Christ is being crucified, you know, and remember that sacrifice, remember the pain, remember what he did for us. And so that's, that's just a few, few ways that we will try to live the liturgy in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Something I like to do is pray the liturgy, the hours, and mm, I know all three yeah. of us have an appreciation for the Liturgy of the Hours, but mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's considered the prayer of the church. Mm -hmm. And it's a continuation of the Mass. You know, the prayers are a continuation of the Mass. And it also helps you dive into the seasons, right? I mean, if you have the four-volume Liturgy of the Hours, there's a specific Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter book, right, volumes. like, And then there's two for ordinary time to split it up. But so, I mean, the prayers, the readings, everything follow along with that spirit of okay especially in advent you know the end times but then remembering back to christ's birth right and then easter that preparation for the crucifixion you right? mean and lent. Then, yes and lent <laughs> so yeah the the lent in easter is that preparation for crucifixion death resurrection but then also the joy of easter mm -hmm. so that is in those volumes it's really beautiful to see that so I, I that's something i do is participate in praying the liturgy of the hours and realizing too like you're praying it with the entire church yeah like the entire church is praying that same thing well and you both have been around when we do night prayer with the kids because one of the things one of the prayers that we pray is the canticle of night prayer um you know protect us lord as we stay awake watch mm -hmm. over us as we sleep and we and we chant that with the kids because it's important for them to know that this is where we go to when we sleep for asking for protection when we sleep i mean we, we also include you know the saint michael prayer and the guardian angel prayer because we want our kids to realize that there is a wealth of beauty mm -hmm. in these things that they can that they can enrich themselves in you just don't like the chant tone that i chant my prayer <sighs> you mess me up every time <laughs> Catholic problems. <laughs> but yeah. I will hold true to my St. Meinrad chant tones. I'm pretty sure the one that we do is from St. John Vianney Seminary. I don't know if they do it anywhere else. Father Kevin confirms that. Well, Saint, it is not a St. Meinrad chant tone. Let's just put it that way. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of chant tones... Sorry, I was just trying to find a way to transition and I couldn't, so... <laughs> So to our next uh, <laughs> little blurb here, right before our one joy, we actually have some New Year's resolutions that we wanted to share as well as we get ready for this new year in the church. The church year starts at the beginning of the Advent season. So as we are on the cusp of a new year in the church, what are you guys' New Year's resolutions for the faith? Okay, they just did nose goes, and now it's on me. Okay, so <laughs> uh, I would still like to put a little bit more kind of prayer into this and really ask the Lord um, what it is that he's calling me into in this next year. But one thing that I thought of was that, and this, this is kind of like a continual goal of mine, a continuous goal of mine is just this uh, growing in my relationship with Mary and just different ways that that can be fostered. So I, I'm still not sure yet whether it would be to be more regularly praying the rosary 
or just more regularly going to her in prayer. There's a lot of different devotions out there, the scapular, miraculous medal. I mean, there's a lot of different devotions the church gives us to help us grow in relationship with Mary. And I think this year I just want to explore some of the different things that are out there and continue to go to her in prayer. So yeah, that's kind of a goal of mine, resolution for the upcoming year, just grow closer to Mary. And Emma touched her nose, which means it's Ooh. Mary Kate. I didn't even see you because I was paying attention to Father. Sneaky. I was paying attention too, but I slipped my finger to my nose. Multitasking. Mm, go. Okay. So one of the things that I would like to try to do is to cultivate my relationship with St. Zelie and St. Well, St. Zelie and St. Giannamola. Uh, asking for their intercession in both my marriage and in my motherhood because both of them were wives and mothers. St. Zelie was the mother of St. Teresa of Lisieux and St. Giannamola was actually just a saint very recently lived in the 1960s, I think is about when she died. Basically, yeah, just cultivate my relationship with them and, and really go to them and asking for their intercession and their help in, in the, all the ways that I need it and mm-hmm. need to grow in my marriage and in my motherhood. So... All right, Emma, you can't hide from it any longer. So, uh, yeah, so my resolution is to really just practice on being little and resting uh, in the the Lord and, and truly just abiding in the sacred heart of our Lord. I'm a firm believer that it's in the sacred heart of Jesus is where we find our home. You know, it's where we find our rest. I'm a firm believer of that. And so to just to take time to really abide, as John 15 really talks about, abiding in him and him abiding in me too, especially after receiving Holy Communion, just, you know, it's Jesus beholding me, me beholding Jesus, right? And so just uh, taking the next year to really rest and abide uh, in Jesus and especially the Sacred Heart. So I think that's my my New Year's resolution just as uh, a means to focus more on resting. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical rest, but just spiritually really resting in the heart of Jesus. So, so, so yeah. Beautiful. And if you're wondering why we, we made the New Year's resolutions, we didn't really like emphasize this, but Advent is actually the new church year, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the new year for the liturgical year. So it's a New Year's celebration for us. So might just encourage you to, to maybe pick out some New Year's resolutions that you would like um, to, to grow closer to our triune God. Um, and just make that your goal over the next liturgical year. Uh, and allow the the rhythm of the church guide your prayer, mm. you know, really just to guide your prayer and embrace it and to dive into it. Like, to, don't be afraid to, to dive in and to actively participate in the life and the rhythm of the church. I think all three of us would agree that it is greatly beneficial. It's amazing that the church knows what we need before we know that we actually need yeah. it that change of pace, that intentionality and things like that. And so that's the beauty of the liturgy and the liturgical life of the church is that we actively participate in this rhythm, which ultimately draws us closer to the heart of Jesus. So, Boom. Yeah. Very well said. Cool. That was Holy Spirit moment right there. Love it. All right. So we still have one joys, right? One joy. What is your? Just one. Oh, yeah, because I said, yeah, joys. Joy. One joy. But it, or it would be or plural because there's three. One joys. Anyways. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just cut to the chase. So my <laughs> one joy this past week. Um, so I, I think I mentioned on one of the early podcasts that I do something called a desert day, which is basically um, one day Pustinia. a month. Pustinia. I think that's what you use, the word pustinia. Yes. Yeah. When I was talking about pustinia. So I do a desert day once a month, which is basically 24 hours off the grid. Um, 
a, a time for greater intentionality in, in prayer and just a, a stillness. And I just got off of one a couple days ago, and something that's been a recurrent theme every time I've gone on a desert day is just great gratitude to the Lord for the gift of celibacy, for the, the celibacy that allows me to have this um, exclusive relationship with the Lord, to be able to have this undivided heart and to have these kind of opportunities regularly to, to be able to foster that uh, kind of intimacy with the Lord. So I was just very grateful the Lord has uh, called me to the priesthood, that he's given me this gift of celibacy for the sake of a deeper relationship with him. So mm-hmm. that was a cause for joy for me this week. And I will say, I, I still remember a year ago, you were, so you were a tr- transitional deacon and you gave a homily on the memorial of Maximilian Colby. Colby yeah. <laughs> and you talked about celibacy, the gift of celibacy. Mm. And that homily still to this day just like rings in my heart. So mm. that's a if that's worth anything to you so even you know over a year later so i know you freaked out about that mary kate because of your child i know your offspring i named my son maximilian after maximilian colby exactly it's awesome do you want to share your one joy yeah other than my awesome son maximilian and his twin brother patrick right i would have to say that my one joy is actually looking forward to something i am really excited to see Mary tries at Christmas, um, mm-hmm. you know, with all the lights and the Christmas music and all of that. Because she's starting to get older. She'll be almost two once Christmas rolls around. It'll be just such a joy to see her joy. Because I remember as a kid, it was such an awesome time for me. And it's still my favorite favorite season, favorite holiday. And so I, I'm excited to see her experience it through her eyes, you know, as an almost two-year-old. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my one joy. Cool. All right, I guess that leaves me. Guess so. So my one joy, honestly, is the entire Cause for Joy team. You Aww. guys, Jonah, Craig, Stevens, who's not here, just everybody. It's just it's a great joy. It, I think we will all agree this is fun. We enjoy mm-hmm. to, to come together and to to build community. Stephen would agree, even though he's not here. Fact checker. <laughs> but uh, yeah, our fact checker. It's It's been truly a joy. And even the listeners, too. Um, and just hearing the feedback and just... Uh, seeing the growth, uh, Lord's at work, and praise be to God for that. And so that just really brings a lot of joy to my heart and uh, a lot of gratefulness that's, that everyone said yes mm. and just that openness to the Spirit. It's It's been a great journey so far. I'm just so excited to see what is to come. So that's my one joy. Sweet. Amen. All right. Father, would you like to lead us in prayer as we close? Sure. Let's pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the many blessings in our lives. We pray in a special way in this season in gratitude for sending your son to become man for us, ultimately to uh, save us, to die for us, to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven so that we may be joined to him and be with all of the angels and saints for all eternity in heaven, giving you all of the glory and the worship and the praise that is your due. So we pray that you would help us to enter into this upcoming liturgical season with our eyes fixed on you, attentive to how it is that you're stirring in our hearts in these days. And we ask in a particular way for uh, the prayers of our Blessed Mother, cause of our joy, to uh, be with us in this Advent season, to draw us ever closer to the heart of her son. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right, well, thank you all, and we hope that you all have a wonderful start to your Advent season. Uh, welcome to the new year. God bless. Peace. Bye.